Welcome to the audio portion of a video podcast that was recorded for Talking Tolkien. This was an episode that we recorded in front of a camera where we watched the first Hobbit movie and talked about it. Now, this audio portion is very listenable, and you don't need necessarily the video portion, but we would recommend that you go to TalkingTolkien.com and watch the video that we've put up on YouTube. But if you still want to go ahead and just listen to the audio portion, that is totally fine, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural video episode of Talking Tolkien. So what we're going to do today is we watched The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, uh, which is the first of... Too many movies. Too many movies, uh, <laughs> inspired by The Hobbit by J.R. Loosely, loosely. <laughs> um, and so now we're going to talk about it. So Chase, as the... Um, Right, PG-13. Yep. Yes. So if you're unfamiliar with The the Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, let me catch you up. The first in trilogy films based on the enduring masterpiece The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Hobbit, Unexpected Journey, follows the title character, Bill Baggins, who lies in the woods again, off the dwarves of Ethel and Ormage, is hunting to never quiet, so returning glass, dwarf king, the rearboard, and the first dragon smile. The journey will take him into the wild, through treacherous lanes, handed by goblins, archers, and dwarves, as well as mysterious and sister figure, not only as the necromancer. Along the path, he has to be Bill Baggins, not only as the discovery of the new meaning, cursed, himself, he also gets possession of a precious ring, tied to the fate of all middle-earth, in ways he cannot begin to that was a pretty long description. Of a pretty long movie. Of a pretty long movie. Two hours and 45 minutes. Which, um, by my copy of the book, is 99 pages. And that was the, that's the facsimile of the first edition printing, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. So by the, by the original hardcover copy of the book, it's 99 pages. Yeah. Over two, I mean, you could read that easily. Yeah. Well, uh, what we, we we kept on saying throughout the movie, like, at this point, we could be, you know, halfway through the book, or at this point, we could be, we could on, have been under the mountain. We could have been on the return journey. Um, so, I mean, it, it goes without saying, again, that, you know, the Hobbit trilogy is, uh, at the, the film, the film trilogy, is unnecessarily bloated. I, I still have no idea why it was made into a trilogy. It could have been a really well, great, of, concise film. I, I mean, mean, I do know why. It's because money. Originally, they only, like, filmed and wrote two movies. Mm-hmm. And then in the yeah. editing stage, Peter Jackson was like, I filmed so much stuff. Make three yeah. movies. I'm just going to make a third one. Yeah. Because if I had to make two movies, I'd have to cut that Battle of Five Army stuff. Yeah. So... And then heaven forbid. But, I mean, so... And, and of course, we, we know, you know, all, we've seen the movie before and we assume you have as well. Um, you know, the movie is bloated 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 with stuff from the appendices of lord of the rings um which means that we get all this lovely extra stuff with the white council and radagast who does appear in the hobbit but not the movie is like a little the movie is like a kid at a carnival who's had too much ice cream and just got on a roller coaster (laughs) (laughs) and we do get a little accurate we get a little backstory for thorin as well yeah uh some of it and good some of it Again, like, I mean, we're right out of the gate just pummeling this movie right now. Um, and I, I do want to, like, I don't want to completely bash it. It's not a but terrible movie. But let's keep bashing movie. it. <laughs> I mean, right? It's not a terrible movie. I just have a lot of issues with it. With it. And I think, you know, all, I, I haven't actually seen uh, Battle of Five Armies yet. But Hold on uh, a second. You've not seen Battle of Five Armies, <laughs> but you've seen Desolation of Smog. Yes. Hold on. Desolation of Smog. Uh, right. I've only seen like half of Desolation on TV, so yeah. I've seen them all. Yeah, so um, I, I kind of gave up on them a little bit. Uh, well, okay. after... <laughs> Speaking of giving up on these movies, I uh, actually had somebody unmatch me on Tinder because I said I didn't like the Hobbit movies. Nice. No, I've gotten arguments with people about these movies before, where people were like, "Why do you not like these movies?" I'm like, "They're 
I mean, after watching the movie, they're bad movies. I they're bad movies. Yeah. I literally said, you know, I, I think they're unnecessary. They're too long. One movie would have sufficed, and they don't really uh, respect the books. He said rude and then unmatched me. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. Also, wow. Wait, did thanks- you just say your opinions of Avengers Age of Ultron shortly after that? <laughs> uh, this is prior to that, that movie. Fun story. Um, uh, so I, I bought advance tickets with my family to go and see this movie. Um, so Your family must have been like brimming over with we excitement. We were so excited, and you know, I, you know, I had I had seen previews and stuff, and there were a few things I was like, but you know, from the very beginning of pre-production, like casting and everything, I was like, oh man, this is a fantastic cast. I love Martin Freeman. He's going to be a great Bilbo. Um, but I had this like lurking fear in the back of my mind, and actually, the night before I went to see this movie, I had a nightmare about it. Um, I, really? yeah, I had a legitimate wow. nightmare. Like, I woke up and I was kind of crying. Um, like, so my nightmare starts out, like I walk into the theater with my mom. It was just my mom. Um, and we sat down and in my dream, I said to her, I hope this is good. I hope I don't hate it. Um, which is exactly what my, uh, sentiment in real life had been. Um, and so we started watching the movie and immediately first off, um, like the first scene was just a scene straight out of Fellowship of the Ring. And I was like, this is cheap. This is cheap. And it was like Bilbo and Pippin, I think, like (laughs) running. I know exactly. So in my mind, I'm like, this is not right. Why is this happening? And so they're like running through the Shire and then something happens and we move to this like gritty like manhattan back alleyway so batman showed up or there's like there's like a car chase going there are only like eight alleys in manhattan well whatever um and they're (laughs) and they're uh they're in the middle of a car chase and there's like this horribly ridiculously stylized goblin driving the car (laughs) and i looked over at my mom frank miller's hobbit yeah i looked over at my mom in the dream and we kind of looked at each other and we both were like we're leaving and we got up and walked out and then, then I, you saw the movie and, and then, I, exactly yeah. right. and then yeah. I woke up and I was like distraught and yeah so I mean again like the, 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 these movies were not horrible but there were problems with them in that to me I like to call these movies schizophrenic they don't really know if they want to be like a fun <laughs> bright yeah. kids movie like slash fairy tale or if they want to be Lord of the Rings the prequel it's, it's kind of the same problem that Star Wars Episode One has, and to an extent you could make the same argument about Titanic, is they try to, it tries to be everything to everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, with, with Titanic and Star Wars Episode One, it was, ooh, pretty costumes for the ladies, and some action for the men, and some romance for the ladies. Yeah. And for this movie, it's not like, a, it's not gendered, which is nice, but at the same time, there are like zero women. I mean, there's Galadriel, that's it. Um, but instead, it tries to be lots of action, adventure for the adults, and lots of goofy moments for Wait, the kids. You're right. And, and she's the only woman in like the whole movie, including including like an extended fart joke at the beginning, and yeah. it's just yeah. Wait, it's, wait. There's a fart joke at the beginning. Yeah. Or well, no, it's uh, it's it's belching. Oh, it's yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the belch. Okay, I remember the belch yeah, now. Part, yeah. The belch for the characters, like yeah, like obviously making like, making this face. He's like. Yeah. That's Bomber, right? And then they add in the sound effect later. And it's, I mean, so, so yeah, we have those moments, and then we have, like, yeah, like, you know, a a dead goblin falling down this crevice, like, on top of the entire company. When we watched the movie, I said, I was, like, sitting there thinking, 
you know what this movie should have been? Like, the first priority right off the bat should have been, it should have been rated PG. Yep. Like, I, if I was working on this movie, I would have probably been like, guys, we need to shoot for PG rating. Yeah. Like, PG-13 would be stupid. There'd be no point behind it. PG-13. Like, I mean, PG would know. be good. Like, the problem I've identified so far is that the movie tries to create tension several times by having one or multiple members of the um, of the party be constrained, threatened, etc. And, I mean, some of this does draw from the book. I mean, we do have Bilbo being kind of tossed around by the, the, the giants, and we have Bilbo missing in the Goblet's Cave. But its solution, the movie's solution to this kind of tension is to have everybody charge in sword strong. So when Bilbo gets captured by the dwarves, I mean, the, 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 the giants in the, in the book, the trolls? Wait, gi- giants? Yeah, I was about to say trolls. Oh, the trolls. <laughs> I don't remember what they're getting. When I was like, giants. Giants. <laughs> Stone giants. But... Okay, so when Bilbo gets captured by the, the, the <laughs> trolls and the book, uh, it's because he was he was, he was stealing Stone a wallet that, that, that yelled out. Yeah. And then they were, you know, talking about what to do with him, and the dwarves came one by one and were individually captured. And the movie, what they do instead is that Bilbo is about to steal something, and then one of the giant, uh, trolls has to sneeze, grabs his handkerchief, actually grabs Bilbo, and blows mucus all over Bilbo. So now we have a snot joke, too. Yeah, so there's the bit for the kids. And then all of the dwarves charge in at once and start to, you know... Wail well, like, the like, stab at them, too? Like, actually, like, stab them and stuff actually, like that? Yeah, actually drawing and then And then the dwarves are basically forced to surrender, uh, or else they'll tear, tear Bilbo apart. Mm-hmm. Um... But it's just it's it's creating tension by having like everybody drawn you know charge in with their sword I, as compared to creating tension with character moments and 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 you know like what more I mean like I could understand if Peter Jackson didn't have a strong history of movies behind him but if you look even at the original at the original um, Lord of the Rings trilogy there are a lot of moments where he creates tension through character actions and moments rather than through you know like. Sword buckling. Well, even in that scene you're talking about, like the like weird schizophrenic nature of the movie, where it's just like yeah. you know, it's actually I actually really like the part where the troll like grabs his handkerchief and grabs Bilbo and, and like because it's like oh what did, I just like th- snotted out a boogie that's like like alive or something like that that's really funny mm-hmm. but then like. It, then it's like that's really funny if this was a kids movie like it's, it's already established yeah. it's not a kids it, it, movie it's unintentionally an action comedy yeah and see the thing is is that. In the book, Tolkien develops this sort of almost lighthearted nature through the narrator. The narrator often finds cer- certain things funny and says so. Like the fact that Bilbo won't kill these yeah. trolls, which was creepy. Yeah. <laughs> um, or, and, and then, you know, we do have dark, scary moments in the book, but it's not to the extent of, like, showing that we have vaporized goblins. Oh, vaporized goblins. Heads getting cut off. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just a weird, weird headspace. Like, I even noticed, like, there's, like, a part where, like, when they're attacking, they're going up against the great goblin, Mm -hmm. and then, like, Gandalf, like, slashes its gut. Yeah. And it's, like, a a deep slash that you see, and you can, like, see the muscle, and, or, I was like, yeah. What? Why? Why do you see that? Whereas I could read this book with my mother as, like, a seven-year-old, I'm not sure I would take a seven-year-old to see this movie. Well, and, and then there's there, there's this bit in Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, where there is a beheading. You do not see the, sl- the sword slice through the head, yeah. but you do see then the head fall off and roll on the ground, but there's no blood. Yep. So it's okay for kids. Like, it's, it's this weird, weird, weird... Well, yeah, it's always, like, the entire... I mean, 
mean, the MPAA and their garbageness is kind of like, you know, that's a whole other thing. But on just this movie, I just felt like I had this like timeline of the Hobbit running through my head. And as someone who's just read the book, and I've only read like the chunk we have read. That's yeah. it. That's all of the Hobbit I have read. And so, um, is that like displaying the, yeah. So mm-hmm. that much. So a little over half. So this book, so this movie covers more of, wait, so there's two movies yeah. in yeah, this yeah, right yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Which, and, and again, you know, yeah, two movies covering that, plus some extra stuff crammed in there from the appendices of The Lord of the Rings. I mean, this movie's <laughs> two hours and 45 minutes, and I think we spend it, like... I mean, we spent the majority of it with The Dwarves and The Hobbit, but every time it would, like, leave The Dwarves and The Hobbit, I just got instantly bored. Just, boom, shut off, bored, don't care. Radagast the Brown, just what? what is, what is that? Which you he, Hobbit he, fans I mean, they, to freak they, out more well, than they, I They did. turn his character into an extended just joke. Just trivial, yeah. Um, they turn Radagast into this trivial extended joke, and he's just comic relief, which is cheapening the character. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, and, and see, that's the thing. I was talking about this while we were watching the movie. As we're cutting away to these white council parts, um, I was sad because I felt bored. And, you know, I don't want to feel bored at that content. But and, but for the for for the sake of the movie, I was bored because we had lost our story and our train. And again, we what what these movies have done is it's they're not as much about the Hobbit as they should be. I mean, I understand that we've taken more focus to the dwarves and to finding their home and making the dwarves these cool like warrior dwarves, which they are, um, but even more so. Um it's just we've lost the central core of the story. And there are great moments when we see it. Like Gandalf's line about um, the small, ordinary acts of everyday people, which is a line from the book and is one of my favorite lines. When, when I saw this in theaters, I teared up. Yeah, like, yeah you I, cried. Having not even read the book, I teared up at you that know, part. Because I got like, like the weird, messed up nature of this movie is it like, Unlike the Star Wars prequels, I feel like Peter Jackson still gets why people like this stuff. Yes. And people like, people care. Yeah. People got behind these characters, but. He understands the heart of the story. It's just that the movies are so bloated that you lose it until you get to these great gems of moments within the movies where you have this important line or like even, you know, I even don't mind when stuff has changed. I liked. Um, you know, when, when Bilbo comes out of the mountain and regains, uh, the company, um, you know, he, he has a line in the book. He's just kind of impressing upon them yeah, that the he burglar, managed here's to your escape. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, the, I am a great burglar. Look what I did. But in the movie, he adds that I came back because I want to help you find your home. Mm-hmm. And that adds even more emotional attachment to the character. I like stuff like that because Peter gets it. It's just the problem. Like we didn't need to have. Azog, the Defiler. Even when I had not read this book, I had no idea that there was not a white dwarf in it. The moment Go- I felt it felt weird. Goblin. That's right. Oyster goblins. <laughs> okay. He's not, yeah. He's or, not or, a dwarf. Or, weird or weird white orc. <laughs> it was it was just odd and weird already. Like it just didn't. It felt like it didn't fit. It felt like it just didn't work. And then now having known that that's not in the book at all. Is weird because I feel like the Hobbit has no real villain. I mean, you have Smog pop up, you have the Grey Goblin, you have Golem Show, but I don't really consider them villains because they're not—they're not following them the entire time. And I right. felt like someone was reading the book, like Peter Jack was reading the book, going like, 
you know, this garbage needs a villain. Well, and it's because it's episodic, you know? Yeah. We come across one challenge after the other on our way to regaining Erebor. Um, so, yeah. In order to make movies, it was like, oh, we have to find a villain to add. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, I, I don't... And, and, and this whole thing just comes off as just so... Point, and now having read the book, reading part of it at least, I'm sitting there going like, what, what you're wasting time. You're, you are wasting time. Like, and, and the funny thing is, is like, I'm coming from a perspective of a... Unlike you two, I've seen all three of the movies. It never pays off. It <laughs> never pays off. Spoilers, never pays off. Yeah. It's not time wasting as much as it is time filling. Yeah, yeah. It, exactly. That's, that's going to be the story over and over with these movies is time filling because... That's what had to happen to stretch this book into three movies. I mean, I don't know. If you think about it, I feel like it didn't so much stretch the book as it, into three movies as it stretched two movies into three movies. Yeah. yeah. Because if yeah. you look at it, like... I still, this, yeah, I could have seen it the, as two. This is the first half of a movie, and then they stretched the second movie into two movies. Yeah. Because they did that with Harry Potter. They did that with... Um, Twilight. With Twilight. They yeah. did that with The Hunger Games. Lord knows they're probably going to do it with um, the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. They're doing Divergent. Yeah, yeah, same way. Yeah. I was actually looking up like movies that are coming out in 2017. It said like Divergent yeah. something part Divergent two. Divergent like, part two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Weird. So, yeah, there's. I mean, there's a trend in Hollywood right now to stretch the la the end the end of the franchise. I guess into and, multiple movies. Yeah. You know what though? But I probably would have been fine with this being two movies, but three movies mm -hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. And this is this is the best one. It is. This is the best one. And, and the thing is, it worked with Harry Potter because that book is two very, very distinct halves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The first half of the book is them basically on the run, them camping out, them hiding. Mm -hmm. The second book is everything falling apart, big action, you know? It worked with that. But The Hobbit doesn't really have that. And if it does, I, you know, it has maybe, maybe like them getting to the mountain. And then everything would, that happens then, yeah. yeah, but I'm super explicit. Like mm -hmm. a super explicit cut. You would have had to cut a lot of things like yeah. um like in this in this book in this part of the book though, I don't I can't even think of much to cut. Like even like when we were reading this in the podcast, I kept talking about how like I could infer a lot of scenes. Like mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. the goblins wait, hold on. No, the trolls were defeated and they're all stoned. There was this like brief moment where I referenced them like like celebrating, yeah. I was like, you could have like a joke, like a like a shot of like them partying, like on these like like hanging off the trolls, and, and that like could that. have and been not... like a character building moment. And in this movie, it's like no, instead of like it's like filling in the gaps, but it's like filling in the gaps by sitting there going, no we need to fill in the gaps instead of Lord of the Rings because that's the important <laughs> one, yeah. right? Yeah, which and that's you know I keep coming back to that. That's just what it keeps feeling like is oh wait we have to pander to our Lord of the Rings fans. We have to, uh, you know, we have to have these scenes that so closely resemble several scenes from the Fellowship <laughs> like, of the Ring. Like when Lord the, ring of the Ring slips its way off oh, the yeah. finger. Like, oh, I, yeah, I, that I wanna, specifically. I want to oh, have, God. like, side-by-side -side video for you guys because it's, it's, just, it's just sad because it cheapens what was done so well. It's like, oh, I did this really well. Now we're gonna do it exactly the same, but with different, a different well, cast. And, and it's like, and it's like, it's like Lord of the Rings: colon The Hobbit: yeah. colon An Unexpected Journey: colon, colon blah. I don't know what. <laughs> colon. I don't. And something in there. And, and I mean, there are these moments where you get Gandalf slowly. Well, I mean, at first it's Radagast uh, discovering the Necromancer. 
And then in the next movie, from the bits that I've seen, you have Gandalf discovering the Necromancer. Yeah. And you know what? That is in The Hobbit. But it is never from Gandalf's point of view. And it's it is always, Gandalf comes back. Oh my God, Gandalf, where have you been for these past four months? It's always mentioned in passing. Yes. You know, like, and again, like things, things are just unnecessarily bloated. You know, in the book, we had a three sentence description of this battle with the stone giants. And that's why there was like, they were having a storm battle. And that's why the storm was so crazy bad. And it was like there. off in the distance. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, up oh, front. Oh, hey, this is why there's this crazy bad storm happening. And, and so we needed to bloat that to like a seven minute scene. Where in the movie is the, the, the company is on the knees of one of the stone giants. And they don't even realize it until he stands up. Right. And then they all get like flown about and, you know, flung, I mean, flung about. And then, you know, Bilbo almost gets lost and they have to, Rescue him, and, and then, then we Thorin have, is like, oh. Then we have a shot very. Hobbit. We have a shot very reminiscent of straight out of Moria from Fellowship of the Ring. Again, there are so many moments that you can watch this movie, uh, Unexpected Journey, and say, hey, that's really similar to something that happened in Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, it's just, it's just sad, you know, and right. You know, it, it just makes. I don't honestly like. I have a lot of things I do like about this oh, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like. I like the the way they handle the the uh, Misty Mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like that song. I like the when I saw the movie in theaters, I teared up at that mm -hmm. part. Uh, I, I I really like the fact. I like Martin Freeman. I yeah. like Martin Freeman Martin a lot Freeman as, as as Bilbo. He's is great. An excellent Bilbo, and it's like as soon as I heard that he was cast as Bilbo, I it's perfect. Said, it's yes, perfect cast. He's perfect. I love his mannerisms. His like twitchy kind of. Like you know, nervous movements of his hands yeah. and like the, his little like crouch walk thing well, that he and, does. And while and... reading this book, like I'm not, I even don't, I don't view Martin Freeman. I view somebody else. So mm -hmm. Martin Freeman is bringing his own thing, yeah. his own take to this character who's kind of sarcastic, mm -hmm. a little naive, but but a little sharper. I guess you could say, whereas Bilbo in the book doesn't quite come across like that. No, you know, I... but, but he still has this great like, like pulling both ways these two different parts of his personality the like more tookishness and the more baggins uh kind of like reserved mm -hmm. uh like i want to go home I feel, like, <laughs> I feel like he's almost like leaning into the baggins a little bit more mm -hmm. in the movie and that's kind of great if you know that and but then, then but then he does have his great heroic moments so with regards to uh the misty mountains I I like the lone holdout here. I don't actually like the way the song is presented. It's, it's too reverent. And okay, if you if you okay one if you read the book at this section, all of the dwarves have instruments and they go and fetch their instruments and they like play together. And in in the movie, it's like everybody's suddenly very solemn and Thorin starts singing and then everybody starts joining in one by one and it almost feels like church to me and. I, I, I get it. I get the emotional moment they're going for. It feels synthetic to me in the context of the movie. And if you think about it, like, the closest thing I can think of to, like, this displaced home folk song is, if you think about slave songs, like, yes, they're sad, mm -hmm. but they are also work songs. They're songs you sing to pass the time as much as they are songs that you sing uh, t to remember. And so I feel like this... I'm not saying that slave songs are jovial, and I sound horrible by suggesting that, but they're- You're breaking it down. You're breaking yeah, it down. Yeah, like, you think Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is a sad song, but it's also an, an uplifting song. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the Misty Mountain should have more of that quality. Mm -hmm. I feel like it should be a song you sing 
you know, in, in a, a church service like this was, basically, as much it is, uh, or as, as it would be a song that you're singing when you're hiking on your way to get there. So you're talking about, like, Neil Finn at the end of the movie during the credits. Okay, just yeah, that was the silly... Which was weird. That was the silly, like, real dance <laughs> auto drums. I understand. Uh, I totally understand your point on that. Yeah. Um, and I, however... Think I like one of my favorite parts of the movie is the Misty Mountain song and how it was treated because, um, like again, I get what you're saying, but I really feel that it resonates with the audience as it does with Bilbo in the book because it's it's supposed to be haunting and like feels like something that's deep within their soul because it is. It's the song of you know. It just it feels a little unsubtle to me. I could I that's. But I don't That's know. Like I, I feel, you. I, I feel that, like but. the characterization of the dwarves we have is that these are people who don't very typically express their emotions. So I feel like when they do express their emotions, it should be both couched and obvious, rather than just incredibly on the nose. I mean, I understand why everybody likes it. And this is me nitpicking. Yeah. But I just I feel like they're. It was a little too heavy-handed for me. Mm -hmm. It's uh well I think it's in direct contrast to the scene prior with the bend the knives yeah, blunt the exactly. just back to like our there, which is really a bad it, it, it is slapstick they're using the plates as, as, as frisbees, frisbees and stuff yeah. and they're all CGI yeah <laughs> and it's really weird which is you know back to the, you know this is I, I was talking to my mom about this earlier I was telling you guys before I came over to watch mm. the movie I was like talking to my mom and uh, like already getting worked up while we were discussing this and we were both kind of feeling like you know the first the beginning of the movie and through the unexpected party it was kind of like this sinking feeling as you go through because it's almost right but mm -hmm. just not quite there yeah. you know um and you know having just read the book we have you know the the i think the good morning exchange was treated very well which is something that i think all three of us really love from the book the good morning exchange is just great well and Ian mckellen's and solid Ian McKellen so, is, yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah so, uh, here's a gem. I, I mentioned when we watched the movie, I was lucky enough to get to see Ian McCullen on Broadway in both um, Waiting for Godot and No Man's Land. And I was not familiar with No Man's Land, and it is a very weird play, and the, the dialogue just flies, and it's very strange. And the way he delivered the, the Good Morning Exchange in this actually really reminded me of his performance in No Man's Land. Mm -hmm. Almost like he presented this kind of absurdist, like, just very quick, very witty thing. And I really yeah. liked that. Like, almost like, like, just... I'm just going to throw this at you and exactly. say, oh, yeah. I didn't mean to throw all that at you right then. That was yeah. a little bit much for a morning. But it's 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 totally fits with how it's described by the narrator in, in the first chapter. So mm -hmm. I just think that was done so well. But then, like, after that, it just kind of, like, almost, um, you're missing the mark here. Well, and can we get to the, the, the point of the... the, the dwarf character designs because uh, we have they're bizarre. we have four dwarves who are human yeah. we have thorin we have feely and keely and we have whichever dwarf i keep calling to his friar john yeah are those like the ones i was like calling the sexy dwarves i think yeah yeah, yeah they're sexy I, dwarves i yeah. think he's meant to be ori is that right he just, the, you'll know him because he looks like to be ori. he looks like they put a bowl on his head and shaped everything else and he looks like a friar yeah. looks like he belongs in the background of money python on the holy grail you have those four dwarves that are humans, one with the silly haircut. Everybody else has some comically exaggerated troll who, doll. They look like, like who's troll the, dolls. Who's the big one with the red hair? That's Bomber. That's Bomber. It was like braided. It looked like, like a, a, a loop, or one of them has his hair 
one like a section up here oh, and then yeah. two sections on the and side. And then we have like the weird ear flap hat with the matching mustache like, that's like... You know, I get it. You have 13 dwarves, you have to visually identify them. Yeah. So weird. But, but you don't do that with caricature and, and absurdity because you are not going to have trolls who wake up in the morning and like, oh, I have to I have to brush my hair. I mean, dwarves. I mean, You just take some bacon fat and you just like, zoop it, zoop it, zoop it. like, but and the thing here is though, I think I find it funny that like we don't know what their names are. You know? Like, I don't ever remember their yeah, names. Yeah, they never really like the only ones that we actually know we know Thorin and we know Feely and Keely. And because we know those Bomber. are and, and we know Bomber. But like, you know and, and I, I could point at you which one was Dory because of a line that he said. Mm -hmm. But otherwise we don't know which dwarf is which, and they're just all comical you know, you, and silly and weird and oddly stylized. Okay, if I were to if I were to rework this movie, if I was in a production meeting, we were in pre-production. We said, okay, what what do we need to cut? Oh, we, we want to make know, this movie. We know Balan because he was the first one to show up. Yes, we yeah, know Balan. Yeah, we know Balan. Mm -hmm. But if I was in a production and meeting, and because he was second, I would be because like I feel like another problem with this movie is it's both super, super like Peter Jackson knows this book like he does know the book he knows all the books very well and we thought we were going into this going like well he knows what to cut out what not to, what to keep in and i feel like one of those things of if i was making this movie this is gonna sound blasphemous what i'm about to say i would have cut some of the dwarves i would have cut some of the dwarves <clears throat> but in the aspect of like arguing but it would preserve more of the book because think about it you're kind of sitting there going like there's 14 there's wait how many dwarves are there 13 dwarves. 13 dwarves, and you're sitting there going like, they need all right, 14 who's, to break who's the hot, what? And your brain is filling it in when you're reading the book. Like your brain's doing a lot of work for you, where in the movie, it's like, who's who's that one odd one who's just kind of, you are steaming. I don't know about all that, but <laughs> now in my mind, I'm hearing the Madonna song, Who's That Girl, but with Who's That Dwarf? Just saying, cut them in half. Have seven and a half dwarves. And just go for no the pair of legs no. walking around. Okay, now we're getting into blasphemy. <laughs> But I mean, I just you, you you see where I'm coming from. Whereas that's exercising things from the book, just slightly versus just filling in the damn gaps. Yeah. You know, like that that'd be making a that'd be like a hard cut where I'd come up to the fans going, "I'm so sorry, we had we had to do this, but I swear to God, the movie's good. I, I we we tried. We didn't just we just inject had, garbage into it. We just had it. to drop all well, the glow in. I, I guess the equivalent no, is you would no. Have, no. I guess the equivalent is that you would have six dwarves and you'd need a seventh companion to make your party lucky. Exactly. Rather than 13 dwarves and you need a fourteenth to make you not unlucky. La 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 And, feel, and la, I feel like la, then la, I would have wanted like people la, over because it would have been la, tighter. La, it would have been like PG instead of PG-13 because it would have had all like the weird head cutting stuff and like gut cutting stuff. I'm not listening to the dropping of any of the dwarf characters. What is this rated PG-13 for by the way? Intense uh, fantasy violence. Intense fantasy violence and like... Action violence. And frightening and what frightening images. These are so super vague. Like yeah. frightening images could literally be anything. There are yeah. parts of inner, like Inside Out that freaked me out. Yeah. Like that clown, but I mean, oh, to be yeah. fair, there was a lot of blood and gore, and there was a lot of like gratuitous killing of goblins. Well, there's that part where like like Gandalf cuts a a goblin's head off, and yeah. it just sits there for a minute, and, and then, then like you know, slides off, boop, and then it slides, and I was like, oh, I can't. <laughs> like it's like this movie doesn't emotionally prepare you for what it's gonna be. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Like Lord of the Rings and Return and like Two Towers and Return of the King, like I felt emotionally prepared for anything that happened in the movie. This movie, I was just like, I don't, I don't, yeah. I'm all over the place. I don't know. This is like supposedly a kids' book. Uh. And see, 
I, I kind of want to move on to uh, another sort of qualm I have with the, with this movie. I feel like I'm being so negative. I really do have positive things that I love about this movie. Most mostly the cast and some really poignant uh, everything, speeches. Everything that's good about this movie is character moments. Yeah. Everything that's bad about this movie is either fluff or action moments. Yeah. And the way it was produced. I mean, let's just get down to it. The Lord of the Rings was... Nobody thought it was going to succeed, no, first off. Yeah. But it felt so real because there were actual sets and there were people miniature dressed... Work. Yeah. There was miniature yeah. work. There were people dressed as orcs. There were, you know, huge charges of actual people on horses riding into battle, you know? It... it I mean, yeah. you know, there was CG, but it was not gratuitous, and it was, you know, done mm -hmm. so well, weaved in with the real, and there were so many sets and actual things that it felt real, it felt believable, and it was gorgeous. These movies, by the other hand, there is far too much CG. It's just... Well, okay, so, it one... Just, you, it loses something. The movies were shot for HFR, high frame rate 3D. Mm -hmm. Now, did either of you get to see it in HFR? No. no. I'm the no. only person who got to see an HFR. Now, if you are unfamiliar with it, long story short, traditional movies are filmed in 24 frames per second. TV is 30? Yeah. Some TV. Some not TV, all yeah. TV. Like, you know, British TV is shot in 30. No, British TV is shot in 25. Oh, 25. Because the refresh rate for um, PAL is 50. All and right. the refresh rate for NTSC is 60 hertz. Wait, wait, nit, nit, yeah, yeah. But... nitpicky stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're familiar with the soap opera phenomenon where something looks like it's cheaply produced. Mm -hmm. And the reason that is is actually because it's filmed in a higher frame rate. Not going into specifics, weirdly lower frame rate, telegraphs cinema, higher frame rate, telegraphs TV, but cheaply produced TV. So for good reason, a lot of filmmakers are trying to trying to push into high frame rate because it does bring you some things. It brings you better realism and especially with 3D, it brings you more light and brightness to the picture. If you ever noticed in a movie where the camera's panning really fast and it looked jerky, that's because of the low frame rate. So when you double it, you, you help to alleviate some of that. Long story short is we have watched movies for 100 years that were shot for 24. So that's what we are used to, that's what we expect out of a movie. So when you double the frame rate, you get to you you run into a lot of issues. Cuz the I don't know if you've ever gotten to visit a film set, you know, if you've done the studio backlot tour at Universal or ever seen any props or anything. It is amazing how fake film sets look when you get to see them in person. But when you see them on film, they look fantastic. Same goes with makeup, same goes with lighting. Everything is designed for this entire universe of 24 frames per second filming. That's what people know, that's what people do. And a the, the big problem this movie had is that you took a bunch of artisans who were trained for 24 and you thrust them into 48, but then you're going to downsample the movie into 24 for most theaters anyway. Because no one's, no one's, no one really went and saw it at high frame rate. I mean, yeah. you're the rare yeah. exception. Yeah, I saw it specifically because I was curious how the technology would pan out. I was curious, but it was never out here in the area. It, like I would have gone and seen yeah. it. Yeah, and the problem was if you've ever seen a TV that has um, some, they call it different things, uh, like real motion or whatever, HFR, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, interpolated frames, etc. Things almost look like they move too fast. They look comical. They, they look, look weird. weird. All yeah. of the CG in this movie, when I saw it in theaters, looked like a video game. Because mm -hmm. video games are not rendered 24. Mm -hmm. They're usually rendered in 30 or 60, or usually it's actually variable depending on the specs of your computer or whatever. It, I mean, it's fascinating you bring up the high frame rate, because that's a debate I kind of forgot about for a while, because it was seated in 2012. Like, they didn't talk about yeah. when Destination Small came out. 
They didn't talk about it when Battle of Five Armies came out last year. It was all when this one came out because it was so weird and new. And they were not, like, high frame rate would have been good if you introduced it in, like, I don't know, like a, a movie like Birdman or something. Like, a, like mm -hmm. something that didn't require a whole lot of visual effects. But when they did it in this movie, they kind of like shot themselves in the foot because it all looks weird. Even when you're watching it, just like we're watching it yeah. just now. So yeah. the, 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 the long-winded point that I was building up to is they didn't get 48 right, and they also didn't get 24 right. Yeah. So a lot of stuff in this movie looks really, really wrong. When I saw it in theaters, the lighting was horrible because I feel like they lit it for 24, but all of a sudden you're doubly exposing, so it's twice as bright. So all of the interior scenes were super bright when they should have been dark. And what's funny is you're watching it now and it's still super bright for some yeah, reason. Yeah. So you watch it, you know, at home with your, your 24 system and the colors are weird and things are too crisp where they shouldn't be. Like there's this moment of Thorin staring off into the darkness and it's nighttime and everybody else is, is like sitting around the fire. So they're illuminated in the red of the fire. Thorin is staring off into the sunset so you would expect him to be, it's not even sunset, it's really, it's dust. Oh, it's totally, it's totally night. Yeah, you would expect night. him to be blue, but he's not. He's perfectly white. He's as white as we are in this, you know, you know, like five o'clock at daytime light. And so a lot of that just didn't work. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's just the suffering of this thing. Like, there are a lot, I mean, visually speaking, this movie is trying to be Lord of the Rings, but it just can't. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 like, it's weirdly clean, too. Like, it and does, yeah, it's just, yeah, the biggest failure of it is it's too much CG, honestly. It doesn't look real. Well, and we, we, we specifically real. going back to Azog, like, mm -hmm. even though he was added for a character, originally when they shot the movie, they had, like, a, a guy in makeup for mm -hmm. the role. Like, they used, like, prosthetics and stuff like that. Yeah. And then they, like, didn't like it or something, and they covered up with the CG character. But, like... But all he is is just like a guy without a shirt, mm -hmm. like with like a few scars on him, and it's like, uh, why didn't you could just have been an actor? Reshot yeah. that, like yeah. it was like, uh, all right, now we got this weird Plato-y looking plastic man. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense at all. And then you know, since it was filmed for three D, uh, we didn't have as much of the like perspective. The game, four, yeah, the force perspective. You know, force that perspective that was used for Lord of the Rings. What was the story you were telling? while we were watching the movie yeah, that was, I didn't really know about. It was, you said it was it. that it was So so when they filmed Lord of the Rings, they built a lot of the times they built two sets. They built a set that was hobbit sized and they built a set that was human sized. So the the, the best example is, is Bilbo's Hobbit Hole. They built two sets. Human sized and Hobbit size. So when they filmed, you know, Ian McKellen I mean I uh, sorry, uh, Ian Holm or uh, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah Wood. Wood or Sean Bean. I mean, Sean Penn. Yes, Sean, Sean Bean. Just totally Sean, Sean Bean. Bean. Sean no, Bean. Sean Astin. Sean Astin. Um, Throw in another random actor, yeah. Alan Rickman. <laughs> they, they put them in the human-sized set so it looked proportional to them. When they shot Ian McKellen, they put him in the Hobbit-sized set so he looked super big and had to duck down and everything. And then they would film them side by side, basically, and composite them together. Now, they and couldn't do stuff like that with the 3D because of the weird, challenging technicalities of compositing 3D. So what they did instead is they built the human-sized set and shot, you know, Bilbo and all the dwarves in that so they looked proportional. And Ian McKellen, they just put him in a giant blue screen, basically. They had like a, you know, maybe the outline of the roof or something. And then they had a screen showing the face of whichever character he was talking to. Uh, 
And it me. So that's, all of yeah, it was it was just Ian McKellen acting against this blue. And there's the, there's the moment where he started he broke down and started crying and even considered quitting because he felt so isolated and so lonely. And you know this is not what I got into acting for. And thinking about too the huge difference from you know the the camaraderie and the actual fellowship that formed the, while yeah. they were filming Lord of the Rings because everyone was there. There were sets buddies. involved. Yeah, and you know. Then to go from that to this, where he's isolated and acting to a screen, is just... I mean, yeah, I, you know, when you do CG stuff like Andy Serkis, clearly, yeah, he has to act to a tennis ball, and that's unfortunate. But that's, this is different, and it's just... You just reminded me of... We should talk about the best thing in this entire yes, movie. yeah. To, like, kind of wrap ourselves up, because... Best scene in the entire movie is Riddles in the Dark. They did that. It, it's, so it's, it's, well. it's well written. Uh, Annie Circus brings his A game, which he usually brings his A game, even if he's, he's, even if he's in five minutes of like Avengers. Gollum but. was the best CG in the entire movie. You know, imagine yeah. this. Okay, imagine this. Imagine this. What if, and I've been like trying to like think about this movie and like parts it down. Like, what if they cut out like all the action scenes except for like the one that made the most sense, which is the goblins mm -hmm. when they're running through the when they're running through the mines or caves. And they're going through the goblins. What if that was the only fight scene in the movie? How much more impact, like how much more an impact that would have had? Also, what if Gollum was the only real thing they CGI'd? Yeah. Wow. Like the only big thing they CGI'd. How much effort and time they could have made that perfect? Yeah. Like I mean, it's really good in the movie, but imagine if it had been like perfect, mm -hmm. like absolutely perfect. Because that's a really important scene it too. Is, yeah. The the rest of the movie suffers from having too much to do because it, it, it chose to do it all. Yeah. And then it does none of it well. Yeah. And that movie is like the but, first time like it knows what it needs to, it knows what it's doing. It knows exactly what it needs to be. It knows how long it needs to be. And it's it's it, it you've got two really good actors acting off each other very well. And I feel like you're getting it just worked. It just worked so much better than the rest of the movie. It did. And if and the funny thing is it's like I'm sitting here going like it's not as strong as this, but the part where Smog and Bilbo talk in the Inadesolish Smog is almost just as good. The best part of that movie. Yeah, we'll it's the best part of that movie, but it's definitely almost as good. We'll get to that later. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, time and time again, the things that I come back to, the things that worked in this movie was, it was all character stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, it was by virtue of how great this cast really and, was. And trusting your actors. Yeah. It's almost like every time we left, we when we left the Hobbit and the Dwarves, I got instantly bored. Mm -hmm. And I really do. I mean, the White Council stuff is more interesting as the movie goes on. It's definitely not interesting in this movie at all. Like it just mm -hmm. feels like the movie stops. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. Like you, but you do get some good character stuff with Saruman. For example, like you mm -hmm. get some examples of like, like even like more structured of like who Saruman is as a character than some aspects of like Return of the King. Uh -huh. Remember like how I was talking about on the, on the podcast, I was like, I don't like how the movie made it seem like he was trying, he was just working with Saruman, or Saruman was just working with Sauron when in reality he was trying to one-up him. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this movie, I kind of got that vibe a little bit more. I got that more of that vibe of Christopher Lee is like going like, I want to like be Sauron. I want to be the Dark Lord. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Also, like, this movie's just constantly filled with, Hey, remember Lord of the Rings? Remember Lord of the Rings? Remember the eagles and how Gandalf can summon them with a moth? Yeah. Remember this stupid thing that's going to come up in two we're gonna, hours. We're going to finagle this in here and have Gandalf call the eagles instead of the eagles just happen to... Uh, see the fire, see the fire the you know. Yeah. And again, you know, like I said while we were watching it, I'm, I'm, I'm not really one of those people who's like a stickler. Like this has to be exactly how it was in the book. But come but, on. But come <laughs> on. And there, you know, it's just it got to a point where there were so many scenes that were just pandering to Lord of the Rings fans when it could have been so beautiful as. Oh, we got what we got. The Hobbit. So I mean, we got something that, like, I mean. That's great I, moments, but that's great moments, and I'm glad it was made. But it the sum is less than the whole of its parts. Yeah. I yeah. almost, I almost feel like we should like weirdly like rate this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how to rate it because uh, no. again, like, six. I'm no, so give it a six conflicted. On IMDb, I'm so conflicted. Sure, what did I give it on IMDb? I mean, I probably gave it around a six or so. Like, I wasn't reviewing movies back then, but I mean, I reviewed Battle of Five Armies, but I didn't review this. I mean, it's. I mean, the thing is, the movie has really good stuff in it, but it also has really bad stuff. Like, yeah. it starts, it stops, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's too, it's too long. I mean, mm -hmm. it's two hours and forty-five minutes, which is really okay. The 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 gen like the whole audience rating on IMDb is an eight point zero. Don't don't wow. yeah don't. People are way too positive about this movie. <laughs> People are too positive about this movie. Like yeah. Rotten Tomato score is like an eighty or something like well, that. The second movie is like a seventy. There is a dichotomy <laughs> in the Tolkien fandom. You have book fans over here, and you have movie fans over here. And I feel like movie fans of Lord of the Rings really love this movie because this was again Lord of the Rings part two. Oh, prequel. Yeah. To be fair, but I'm, seriously, as coming from this previously just a movie fan, and then coming to me, I still hated it. So I don't get it. Like I yeah. still thought it was a bad movie yeah. for the most part. Yeah. I mean. I don't, oh, get I, do. I don't get it. There we have it. The <laughs> Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. We'll I'm I'm sure that we've incited some uh, fury. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> from some I, people. I don't know. I don't we'll we'll know. just see. We'll, yeah, but we'll be back next week with our regularly scheduled book club mm -hmm. style discussion of chapter 7 and 8 of The Hobbit. So this is uh, Talking Tolkien, our first video episode. You can find us online, facebook.com slash talkingtolkien, as well as Talking Tolkien on Twitter. Uh, if you want to listen to us, iTunes and Stitcher, we're both under Talking Tolkien. And you can visit us at TalkingTolkien.com or email us at theprofessor at TalkingTolkien.com. It's all going to be below. It's yeah, below there the will screen. be stuff in the info dump down there. Poke the links. Ooh, what? No, <laughs> I've had too much of this. Poke so, uh, I'm John. I'm Katie. I'm Chase. I don't think we ever introduced ourselves yet. No. This uh, particular, but you get to see our faces. Now you know what it looks like when we're talking around <laughs> in the same room. <laughs> So we'll see you.